So good afternoon, friends. I want to offer some reflections on the parami, or the completion, the perfection of dana or generosity practice. And so the invitation first is to really stay in your body as I offer some of these Dharma teachings on this practice of letting go. And just notice, we have lots of different responses when we hear about the paramis. And just like with metta, it's a practice of staying awake to all of the responses, all of the body sensations, the heart's machinations, as we hear about these practices for daily life. So first we can just start with a reflection. And you all have developed a certain quietude and clarity of mind, and so you might just in a kind of informal way go back in your memory. You can close your eyes if you'd like, or just a soft downward gaze, and remember a time when someone was generous with you. This could be something that happened today at lunch, someone who offered you a space in line or washed your dish maybe. Maybe reflecting on seeing a yogi doing a service job. Or it could be a really big memory when you received an unexpected gift or some surprise accompaniment, a friend or a stranger. And you don't have to pick the perfect memory, but see what swims up in your mind's eye now. simple act of generosity and how it was to receive this offering, this kindness. Notice how your body felt. And notice how it was in your heart. And sometimes when we receive, there's just a very natural, genuine opening, a gratitude, an appreciation, and a sense of humility in receiving a gift. And other times, maybe we feel unworthy or ashamed somehow even in receiving goodness, not certain what to do. That's all part of this practice, too. So just notice how it is to receive be on the receiving end of generosity. Was there a sense of obligation to return it? Or just an open-hearted appreciation? Just all the feelings, let them in and notice.
And now, similarly, just a second reflection on a time when you were generous. Maybe it was planned, a certain surprise party, or a gift that you had held in mind for a long time, or something completely spontaneous. You saw someone who needed help and just offered it. And again, no need to think of the perfect memory. It could have been something very simple today, holding the door open for someone. Just see what comes to mind. And there might even be the sense of like, gosh, I'm not generous. Might be hard to think of a time. Or maybe lots of times will spring to mind. And whenever memory comes up for you, really inhabit it. Notice how was the body in that moment of offering your time or your resources or your attention, your care. And sometimes when we're generous, there's this open-hearted sense of joy, delight. And other times when we're generous, we might have this worry, like, is this the right thing? Will they like it? You know, maybe some uncertainty or some agenda, like, I really want them to like this, (laughs) to see all of my generosity. So just open to this whole experience, this practice, a training learning your own heart's orientation in this generous moment. Okay, so if your eyes are closed, you're welcome to continue practicing or open them now and just feeling that imprint of where we're at right now in this moment around this, this very simple foundational practice and offering, which includes also receiving. So these qualities, the paramis, it's a list of ten. And I just I brought this book to show you. This is called Parami Ways to Cross Life's Floods, and it's a book by Ajahn Suchito really wonderful British monk in the Thai forest tradition. And this is maybe one of my favorite Dharma books ever. Just very beautiful teachings on these ten qualities. So it's qualities like energy and sila, equanimity, metta, ones that we've been talking about here in retreat. And dana, generosity, is the very first one in the list. So the Buddha began many, many, many of his teachings You know, to folks who just had no idea about meditation. He didn't teach them meditation at first. He taught them generosity. He started the list with this quality. And one reason why, I think, is that as we train this open-hearted, like open-handed offering, letting go, we're already priming the heart for the whole of the path. That you can frame the whole of the path in two words, and it's just let go. That's it. So just this practice of offering in small ways, in big ways, we're creating the conditions for this heart to learn, oh, it actually feels really good to let go in this way. It's an antidote 
to all this clinging we've been talking about. And it's a training like any other. So we're going to see all the ways that we are grasping. We are holding on. We're going to feel all the contractions and all of the growing pains of this. The ways that we're small and afraid. You know, and really overly generous sometimes in a foolish way. <laughs> and other ways that we just contract down and feel like, I do not have the resources right now. Can't do it. And then healthy boundaries. All of this, all of this is the realm of the practice of generosity. And what's beautiful about these paramis is, of course, they grow on retreat. We've been doing this, and you haven't even talked about a lot of these in the list. Resolve and truthfulness and determination. But actually, these have been growing quietly in you just through the practice, the schedule. So some of you might know I spent the last many years in a kind of isolated, solitary retreat, coming in and out, but mostly in retreat. I did a stint at the Forest Refuge last summer, and both my partner and I have been in this kind of solitude for some years now. And the, the end of our full retreat cycle happened in June. We sort of formally came out in June just a couple months ago. And I was having a conversation with my primary teacher, is Joseph Goldstein. And I was having a very real moment with him at the end of my retreat saying, you know, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go back out into the world. It's all complicated out there. been living in this cabin, very simple life, very quiet. And Joseph is usually pretty, you know, laid back. It's pretty easygoing. But this was one of these moments where he is sort of like his tone changed. I felt like I had to sit up a little straighter. And he said to me, he said, you need to go back out into the world and practice the paramis now. That was kind of my assignment. He said, it's a great retreat, long retreat. What you've done is just fantastic. And the world is actually better conditions for growing generosity and determination and truthfulness and kindness and equanimity. Isn't it, though? <laughs> I mean, look, like what better teacher do we have than this complex and chaotic and burning and broken and beautiful world? So one part of generosity that we might not always hear about, but I find really compelling and important, is that as we practice this letting go, this reciprocity, we start to see the way that we have been conditioned in relationship. Relationship to ourselves, relationship to others. And I'd venture to say that in most Western cultures, there is a sense of anxiety and fear and isolation that underrides a lot of our relationships. I love you. Do you love me back? A kind of scarcity or not sure. I got to get it right. You know, do the right thing, say the right thing. And also, so that anxiety, I think, is driven a lot by competition. Like, you got to try really hard and be successful, and you're out on your own. you just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And if you succeed, that's on you. If you fail, that's also on you. A very, a sense of alienation, isolation, aloneness. Even though, of course, we are in relationship with each other, but there's a basic kind of defendedness, I think, that we're trained in. 
And this practice of generosity, so beautiful that the Buddha taught with it, started with it when he taught. Because what it actually is, is acknowledging our interdependence. No, we're not isolated all on our own, completely responsible for everything. We are so dependent on each other. And this practice of receiving, giving, receiving, giving is a honoring, a reverence for, and um, an acknowledgement of that truth that we never exist alone in isolation. Everything we are, everything we do is completely dependent on other beings. So we start to have this sense of being part of something bigger, something meaningful, and something sacred. The Buddha said this very explicitly in the Majjhima Nikaya. He said that we practice for the welfare of ourselves, for others, and for both. When we practice for the welfare of everyone, this leads to the ultimate peace. So this practice is so dependent on each other. And I think, again, it can feel like we're isolated in silence on our own little squares. But wow, haven't you seen it this week? How there's such a reciprocity in practice. You know, accompaniment. It's so beautiful to come into the hall during one of these meditation sessions and just see all of you on your own accord. You've come to the hall to sit. It's a kind of shared agreement. And even those who are sitting in their rooms, it's an accompaniment. The Australian indigenous writer Lilla Watson says, Your liberation is bound up with mine. Let us work together. I think it's really important in these times to see that. And then the other magic thing about this reciprocity is that it's not only right here in this room, but it carries across time and space. And maybe some of you have had this experience, memories resurfacing, or things way back in the past that have happened to you. And we see that this practice, as we do it in skillful ways, moment by moment, with a lot of kindness and a lot of gentleness, we are able to heal from past wounds. Because this field of present awareness, it absorbs and carries all of the past in this moment. So it stretches across time. And we see that even we can heal intergenerationally. Because as each moment conditions the next and the next, same thing. We can stretch back in a sort of illusory sense of time being linear. It's not. So it holds all right here in this moment. And the healing and the purification and the the metta that's cultivated right here in this moment stretches across time and space. And I think this sense of participating in a lineage, of acknowledging that what we're doing here has an impact on our ancestry, in this intergenerational way, that we're really practicing in such a wide and kind and unhurried kind of awareness that allows for the shadows and the separations of the past to be seen, to be bowed to, to be honored.
So I had the good fortune of living in Hawaii for a while. Uh, my partner was doing a, a postdoc internship at an indigenous clinic on the island of Molokai. And I learned so much about many cultures while we lived there. But one friend in particular was from Polynesia. And they told about the practice of generosity in their particular island. And how a successful life was not measured through happiness or wealth or connections. None of that. It was measured by the amount of generosity that you'd practiced in that life. So if one family gave their family a coconut, the whole it was like a game. The family had to sort of outdo that generosity and give back a pig, something more. And then there would be this back and forth, back and forth, in a friendly kind of competition, like a competitive generosity game, like growing more and more and more merit. We did this some in my teacher training, actually, there's the whole thing about you know having to clean your dishes after meals, and we would be talking in the trainings, and always have these piles of dishes, you know, after our meals, and we would all compete for who <laughs> got the merit to go in and wash all the ten dishes, you know, the piles of dishes. And it was actually serious; like people were like, "No, I'm going to do it. <laughs> it's karma, like good karma in the bank." And Dalai Lama calls it smart selfish. And so we start to see this deep sense of connectedness and mutual belonging, how deeply our lives intertwine. And isn't there a sense of uplift when we hear about this? I don't know about you, but for me, you know, when in Braiding Sweetgrass, Robin Wall Kimmerer, when she talks about reciprocity with the earth, a sense of gratitude and thanking what's been offered, there's a, a kind of coming home, a kind of relief. So I think often when we hear about dawn or generosity, we think, okay, that means like a very particular kind of giving, like money or resources or time. But I think the invitation is much wider than that. How can we be creative with this open-hearted, open-handed practice? What does that look like? I had to really be creative about my practice and generosity in, in retreat because I was in a cabin, pretty isolated. My partner was there, but we were in silence together. And, you know, how do you practice generosity in a cabin <laughs> offline? And really what it, it, it felt like over time was my offering was just attention. Like just k- taking the time to sit outside on the porch and really, really learn how the nut hat was building its nest. Just offer this accompaniment, this sense of, I see you. I don't know if the nut hatch cared, but it felt good to me to be with that bird. So in daily life, I think we can be really creative. One piece of like receiving care that I've reflected on some over these years of being in a cabin is that you know, while my partner was there, we weren't talking much. And sometimes you just need to talk to a friend, you know, in retreat, month after month. And I had really a couple friends who, without my even asking, they knew that I was in a cabin on my own for a long time. 
And they were really supportive of what I was doing. And so any time I had to climb up this mountain to get reception, but any time I did, you know, I had some, some emotional times for sure. Any time I climbed up that mountain and I just out of the blue texted my friend, she would respond. <coughs> now, I don't know what that says about her cell phone habits. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, in that time of just knowing I could rely on this response pretty quick, you know, I didn't have to, like, wait up there on the mountain for hours. She would be, like, really responsive just when I needed it. It was such a generosity. I'm here for you. I know what you're doing. I know it's hard. Tell me everything. So many ways to offer this. So many of you know this. IMS opened in 1976. And they had all these decisions to make, I'm sure, like paint colors and how they're going to sit lay out the meditation hall. But also, like, how are they going to sustain this institution? I think they bought all of these acres for a dollar an acre that time. I don't know how big the, the land was, but 400 acres. Thank you, Rohan. Yeah, so big plot of land, and it was a monastery, you know, that was for sale. So a dollar an acre. And one of the decisions they made early on, there's lots, you know, about the lineage and the teachings, but they really made it explicit that having practiced in Asia a bunch and and being the recipients of a lot of generosity, they decided that for teachers, they were going to have this policy of teaching completely for free. In that spirit of warm-hearted, open-handed, passing the Dharma along and having it be available for everyone, right? Everyone's welcome. That's what the Buddha did like the first kind of inclusion. So beautiful. And so now, even, I don't know, 40-some years later, we're still practicing this, where the teachers, we come because we love the Dharma and we love sharing and getting to meet you and practicing together. And then this offering that you might make at the end supports our livelihood, really. And it's this in-between dance of like, we're not monastic, we're lay people, and so we have bills and we have responsibilities and all of those things. But we're really living on this sense of trust and reciprocity that we're offering this and then there's support that is returned. And I have to say, it's like such a radical practice. It's like deeply humbling. It brings out all of my fears and insecurities. I don't really know what next year is going to look like, you know? And there's also a sense of what's sustainable. How much can I teach? How much do I need to teach? It's very easy to burn out, right? To say yes to a lot of things because nothing's certain. And then who wants a burned out Dharma teacher? It's not helpful. (laughs) You know, and wanting to take time for our own practice, but how to balance that with needs. It's, It's just so difficult, actually, to be honest. And especially in a world that's like very transactional, we're all having to kind of be creative in our own way of like, how do we support ourselves and still honor this practice, this deep practice and reverence for something that isn't transactional? Something that's offered, right? Regardless of means, regardless of any expectation. And it's not a perfect system, I can tell you that, right? You all paid to be here. 
right? Because there's like cost for running the the retreat and the buildings and the staff and the food and all of those things. And the retreat can actually feel expensive, just those those costs, absolutely. And so then you find out, wait, okay, so teachers also need to be supported. And how do you think about those numbers? It's all, it's very messy, I have to say. And it's, it's cross-cultural. We're using this as a sort of translation project. But in my best moments, when I really reflect on the intention behind this, is really coming from that sense of training in Dana Parami. For all of us, right? We've sat where you are and had this sense of like, okay, what's the right number? <laughs> like if I'm a really good yogi and I'm going to be really generous, what's, it's hard. And I've like given way too much before and gone home and gotten in trouble because we can't pay our bills. And then I've not given very much and felt shamed about it. You know, it's really, it's such a practice. And so what I want to say is that there isn't any expectation of a particular amount. Because each of us has a completely different background, different means, different resources. And we trust that really the ultimate practice, the ultimate generosity, is your sitting down and being mindful. Walking and rolling and, and practicing in this way, that is your generosity. And so you've done that in spades already. And I think when we're sort of sitting in the awkwardness of like, okay, what do I give? How much? Do I write the check? Da da da, all the logistics. It's wise discernment. You know, you have all of this steadiness now of mind and heart. What feels like the right amount that is a training in opening your heart, in offering freely, and giving to what you care about? You know, it's paying it forward for the next retreat and the next retreat and the next retreat. And lineages of teachers, many of you might already be teachers. Right? How do we support this in an ongoing way and also feel like we're taking care of our lives responsibly? So wise discernment, and then here's Pema Chodron. She always says, in the practice of generosity, we figure out like what feels like a right thing, and then we give a little more. <laughs> like, it's just a little stretch. <laughs> it's good practice. So I'll tell you this story again. I told it last year, but I've got a new chapter to this story. So you might remember my friend Tuere, who is a really wonderful Dharma teacher. And she liked my shawl, my meditation shawl. And it was like my favorite possession in the whole world. But in that moment, I thought, I just have to give it. So with some hesitation, I gave it. And then I had all this joy. For a few years, I would see her teaching in it and be like, oh, that's my shawl. She's wearing it. It's great. Last year, I taught with her again, and she didn't have the shawl. And I was like, Tuari, what's happened? And she's like, oh, it was getting kind of raggedy, so I got rid of it. <laughs> I just felt this like, oh, like, I could have taken it back. <laughs> so training, right? It wasn't like perfect giving. <laughs> Actually, I still have attachment to the shawl. But it's all part of the process, right? Okay, now even another chance to let go even more. And I'll tell you, I had a session of like, should I ask her? Is it like in the goodwill? Like where, does she have it still at home? I really went through that whole, I had to go through the cycle. 
So generosity shows us all the ways we're stuck. And hopefully there's some humor. And then when we work through that stuckness, can we come to a place of like, and it's the most important thing to let go. That's just the most important thing. Whatever that looks like. Letting go of the ego of I got to be generous. Or letting go of the particular number. Or letting go of our fear. All of it. All of it. All of it. All of it. What does that feel like in the heart and the mind? So let's do this practice. I really think doing generosity first in our hearts with our imaginations can be such a powerful way to start closing out the retreat. Because yes, we do generosity in sort of physical, financial, you know, bodily, energetic ways we do that. But there's so much that can be done in the imagination first. The imagination is pretty boundless. So let's do this practice. And we can settle in together. This is traditionally from the Vajrayana, from the Tibetan practice, and it's done often. So many of you might be familiar with this, this practice of offering. So first, you can just reel back in your mind all through the many days that we've been here. It might feel like we've been here for a million days. And then all of the many moments of goodness that you've experienced here. And maybe it was in observing the robin outside with her nest of baby birds. Or maybe it was in a quiet connection with another yogi or just a dropping into a deeper sense of calm as you're walking. Whatever it is, the many, many times I've heard you say, that you opened or felt some sense of quiet happiness here. And then all of that goodness, all these moments, we can just offer it. Like, how is it to share that with the world? Like, yes, may others too have these experiences. Have the same sense of support and trust and energy and faith, whatever it is for you, just offering it freely. How is it? Not just mine, but I share this. I'm sharing. I'm sharing all of the fruits of my practice here this week with the world. And then you might reflect in a wider way on all of the blessings in your life. Just starting with your own good qualities. Like maybe you're a very kind person or you're an honest person. Or you love animals. Or you're a good friend. Or you tend to be reliable. Whatever qualities you can come up with in your own mind, even if they feel kind of small. How is it to just offer those freely to the world? I offer my care, I offer my steadfastness, my discipline, my love for nature, all of these qualities. How is it to just offer them? May other people enjoy these qualities too. Offered freely, sharing. (laughs) 
And now, in a very uh, creative way, you can offer even sensory delights in your, in your world. The blessings of a good meal. Or maybe you have beautiful candles in your house. Or plants or forests that you love. Your favorite raspberries or whatever you love. Offering it. What if you offer the best kind of coffee? A whole sky full of flowers. The moon at night. All the sunsets and the sunrises you've seen. Offering the ocean. See what your mind comes up with. Just offering freely. It can be boundless. You can offer mountains. There's no limit. And see what happens just in your body and your heart as you imagine offering. Unlimitless resources. Clean water. Beautiful streams and wildflowers and just everything that you can think of. (laughs) Everything. How is it? Offer everything. I offer it. Open-hearted offering. And of course, it's all kind of imagination anyway, so... This very playful kind of giving and receiving. And the sense of it's nobody, you know, not owned by anybody. So we can just have this sense of I give my life, all the blessings of my life, all of this goodness offered freely. Through Knowing our deep interdependence, this genuine reciprocity, the ways our lives intertwine, may all beings receive everything that they need. May they give and receive all the love that they need. May all beings have the opportunity to feel the support of community and this freedom to practice in this way. May all beings find a sense of rest right in the middle of everything. And may all of our efforts and diligence here really be for the benefit and the welfare of the world. May it be of benefit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.